Last week, I began a conversation about LGBTQ issues in politics with singer-songwriter, violinist, and my sibling, Chantal Sharif. As a queer person who also had a strict evangelical upbringing, Chantal has had unique experiences that give them a nuanced perspective into our political climate. Join us this week as we discuss historic decisions for the LGBTQ community, issues that hit close to home for them, and the upcoming election with honesty and integrity. I'm Joy Dertinger, and this is 99 Lead Balloons. Episode 8, LGBTQ Issues in Politics. We talked a little bit about history, and you talked a little bit about going on Tumblr and learning about uh, queer history. What are some ways that you can share that politics have affected any communities to which you belong, whether that is, you know, being a woman um, or being a queer person or anything like that? And I put woman in quotation marks because I know that, like, for a lot of people, it's like, please don't call me a gender or, like, please don't. Please don't call me a man or a woman, even if you have to check a particular box when you are. Yeah. Yeah. Filling something out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I remember when gay marriage was like officially legal, like officially, officially. Mm -hmm. And I was so so happy I think I cried and like I like I wasn't in any relationship I wasn't really involved with anything but I just felt like okay like you know like my future has so much potential if I am ever in a situation like that I guess Mm. um I'm trying to figure out I have an image and I think I might have been yeah I was in Jamaica for the one-year anniversary of uh, marriage equality so and there was a rainbow oh which also made me cry that's so special (laughs) it's just really sweet yeah Yeah. um so I mean that was that was a win for politics I guess Mm. when that happened I was still living at home when it was official Mm -hmm. so I couldn't really be like yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) you couldn't celebrate (laughs) (laughs) no no I mean I wasn't allowed to wear more than like three colors at a time where I would be sent back to the bedroom to change so oh y'all remember it's not a lie I know Um, (laughs) just for you (laughs) listeners out there the irony the irony is that the rainbow was a Christian symbol so yeah there's that Not come to think of it, I think that your um, room was decorated with, uh, like, Noah's Ark and rainbows when you were a baby. (laughs) I'm not lying. I do remember that, yes. There was, like, an embroidered picture on the wall above my bed. Rainbows were? I think it had a giraffe on it or something with a rainbow. (laughs) Yeah, rainbows were big in your room when you were little. (laughs) So I'm just saying. May have had something to do with it. Who knows? Um... (laughs) 
for for anyone who hasn't picked up on it by now, please know that Chantel and I joke about these things frequently. And that this is we we are not actually serious. <laughs> I just feel like I need to like put that caveat in there. Or are we? Oh no, um, we'll ever know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was <laughs> where am I? That was a win. Yeah. Um I I'm still frustrated that so many people have a say over my body. Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm sure you are as well. Yeah. That's quite frustrating. Yeah. Um, and Title Nine was kind of another smack in the face with that. Mm-hmm. So um that's a thumbs down for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it's always in such a large flux that it's really difficult to to objectively say this is something great that the government is doing for people like me mm. or this is something that is hurting me because it's always like well, we got this little win, but the other thing we were asking for that's in conjunction with it was smacked to the ground. So, uh, hey, I got a bowl of soup, but no spoon. <laughs> right. Drink it. Drink the soup. Guess I'm, guess I'm slurping tonight. Yeah. Um. But, like, with that, like, there's a, you're involved with a lot of, like, grassroots organizing and, like, being a part of those kinds of communities. So, like, getting little wins, how does that, like, how does that feel, like, right now? When you get a little win, but then it's sort of, like, pulled back, what are you, what is your experience? And, and do you think that grassroots is, like, the way to go? Or do you need like a top-down approach? Like what's, what is kind of your perspective of all of that? I think the grassroots is particularly important right now because people aren't really listening. Mm. And um, if, if the government isn't listening, then you just gotta do it on your own. Mm. Um, So I think in that regard, it's helpful, but I think for long-term it has to be in conjunction I really do think that and we're finding that with things like coronavirus, because if you leave it up to all these smaller branches of organizations or government and whatnot, you're getting so many inconsistent, no problems are becoming solved. And you have to have consistent communication and collaboration, I think, to accomplish anything long term sustainable. Mm. And so with with the wins, the small wins that are later usually withdrawn. Hmm. I am sure some people will say that I am very cynical, which could be true. Um, I don't think that I'm a pessimist, but I know that I'm a realist. And Hmm. so I, I like, unlike a lot of people that I know, um, am very skeptical when stuff like that happens and I mm. at this point in my life I really don't allow my hopes to get brought up very often I mm. try to stay really practical and focused mm-hmm. when something 
happens that's maybe headed in the right direction. I mean, I think I've been conditioned to feel that way since I was a child, just because Mm -hmm. there were a lot of inconsistencies in my upbringing, as Mm -hmm. you also know. It was not a sustainable or consistent lifestyle. And so you got to this conditioning where you realized anything could be taken away on a dime. And I think that really actually prepared me for a lot of things as a um as an observer of politics yeah (laughs) (laughs) um who knew yeah so I think I don't know I I appreciate it but I I think I said something not that long ago um let's see again call me a cynic but I just stuff happens so quickly man yeah i just yeah i don't know i i i posted something a few months ago i don't even remember what it was about but i i'm trying to find it now i probably won't because i mentioned it (laughs) let's see I got this. You got this. We got all the time in the world. Okay, I found it. Awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I said, um, like, and, and this is just, like, how I feel after everything, because I, like, I can't get too excited. I used to get really excited about stuff my freshman year of college. And then like, I'd find out like the, the fine print and I'd be like, Um, so remain skeptical, retain facts, recharge energy, respond thoughtfully and react actively. Mm. Because I think a lot of people are like, all right, we got this little thing. Let's take a break. We'll see mm. what happens. We'll mm. leave it up to people. We'll keep our fingers crossed, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And my brain is like, I don't know. I think I've also been this way since I was a little kid where I'm yeah. like, no, it's not good enough. You didn't give me what I asked for. I asked you very <laughs> specifically for this and this. And I only got one of those things. So I'm going to be the most pesky person in the world until I get everything that I demanded um (laughs) I got my chocolate cake with chocolate frosting but there was no chocolate ice cream mom (laughs) there will be no birthday party yeah um I don't know I mean, and, that's how it has to work, right? And like in in smaller, more grassroots movements. I think so. I mean, just even going to town hall meetings and city council meetings and things like that and seeing more on the local scale how government works and just going and, and pleading for hours and hours and hours and just preparing these convincing and convicting speeches that have to fit under two minutes and concise and very charged and doing it over and over and over again and you know tweaking it to what they said they could and couldn't do and you know trying to find these loopholes Mm. and 
you can't stop. You can't. Yeah. They, they don't they don't care enough to do it the first time you ask. Mm. You have to be a little, a little bed bug and yeah. burrow into their mattress until they don't want to go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy. That's great. Um I just started taking a civil resistance course um, online and like learning about the history of nonviolent protest and civil resistance and why it's effective and how grassroots organizations make a difference. And one of the things that, well, two things, two things that have really struck me so far is that um, I'm going to go back and say, I am, I'm taking this course with some well-known, um, being taught by some well-known, um, civil rights advocates and, um, activists and educators. And I am very lucky and privileged, uh, and grateful to be a part of this course. However, I don't know if I can slash should share their names due to the course material, if that makes sense. Um, So that being said, um, learning about the history of civil resistance and nonviolent protest and things like that uh, is really wild because there are two things, one of them being that nonviolent protest and like small grassroots organizing methods are more effective than large violent uprisings. They're more likely to last and have long-term results. And um, they're more effective with a smaller number. So that's, you know, really incredible. And then the other thing that um, has really struck me so far is that, like you're saying, you can't let up momentum. And there's something about that 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 causes you and really requires you to see people who are bystanders as potential partners in the fight. You can't like you can't let up, but you can't alienate everyone either. And so it's like this very fine line and like tricky balance of I want to draw you into this. I want to help you see why this matters. And I want to help you see why our movement and our fight is actually the one that you want to be a part of. Um, And that's like one of the things that they, you know, have been teaching is that nonviolent protest works because it shows very clearly who the oppressing parties are. Yes, yeah. And it's more sustainable as well. Yeah. I think even just physically and mentally, emotionally. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that what is happening right now with rioting and looting and stuff isn't justified. Oh, my gosh. It's so justified. isn't warranted. Right. You know, um, it's overdue. But – yeah. You do have to have both happening, I think. Um, Yeah, it was when you were saying you want to encourage bystanders to become involved, that reminded me of 
some of the protests, the smaller protests that I was a part of this summer, mm-hmm. um, you know, you would get the attention. We, we decided to walk through some residential areas because, I mean, everything was closed down due to the pandemic. So what are you going to do when you're walking past all of these businesses and organizations and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, at this point, you want to affect the community directly mm-hmm. because hearing about it on the news or seeing a three paragraph article isn't really changing anyone's day. They're just ranting about it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I, there were a few times we went out and into neighborhoods really late at night and of course everyone is out on their front porch like what the hell is going on yeah (laughs) um and (laughs) a few borderline dangerous incidents there but Mm -hmm. um there we would walk past and we'd see people on their porches and we would we would shout walk with us walk with us walk with us that's awesome and people would people would leave their front porches in their pajamas and come walk with us. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah. And at the end of the night, we'd be three miles from their home and they'd ask, when's the next one? Can we come? Mm. So I think it really can make a difference when you're part of something smaller like that and you're affecting the community. I mean, in a way, our religious background is kind of like that too i mean everything's a cult let's be real but (laughs) human rights are (laughs) human rights are are so much more and i think you know religion told us to reach people in your community and Mm. love your neighbor you Mm -hmm. know and i think in in a way when we were doing this kind of work reaching your neighbor was the most effective yeah you'd see them at town hall meetings that week you would see them um you know i i would get messages on facebook hey like i saw you a few days ago can i donate water this week Mm. can i make you guys dinner for like Mm -hmm. 300 people can i make 300 people dinner um it's just it's amazing to see what a community can do together Mm -hmm. i do think grassroots can be really effective yeah. but yeah it is that that long-term work that it's the yeah that's the asterisk at the bottom of the page yeah man yeah for sure um I wonder like you're talking about being involved in like grassroots movements and things like that and obviously you are fighting for multifaceted and multi-dimensional things right now um none of this is like none of this is just one thing it's all connected it's all a part of a greater movement to see black lives matter to see so many other groups of people have equal rights to any like anyone who is other than you know anyone who's considered Mm -hmm. the other um and so i but like that is obviously a way that you are um 
participating in politics because that is political. Um, it's a way that you're, you know, engaging in your community and participating in like different institutions and things like that. So I wonder if you would share a little bit about how parts of your identity or different identities that you hold may have changed or adjusted your politics over time, or if your politics have kind of always been this even keel situation, um, as long as you've kind of been old enough to think about those things, um, which let's be real is fairly young. Like children are capable of thinking about these things and having, you know, critical, like thinking critically and having conversations about these things. Um, but I wonder if there's any, uh, any of your identities have adjusted your politics over time or conversely why your politics may have remained the same because of those identities that you hold. I'd say I definitely felt like my political identity used to come off as pretty conservative when I was like younger, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely what I was spoon, spoon fed. So mm. it's, I, I always felt like there was a little bit of a glitch when I, said something out loud or had a thought that aligned with these conservative ideals. Mm -hmm. Like I always felt like there was like, I'd say something and I'd be like, I'd twitch a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause you're conditioned. Cause right? I was like, what? this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially just with our neighbors growing up and then, you know, some of the awful things that I would hear, like mm -hmm. people talking about them and I'd be like, I don't know understand why we're saying this mm -hmm. um yeah <laughs> uh so I think that I'm I'm constantly adjusting I thought that I was I thought that I fit into the the democrat box the democratic box when mm. I was freshly out of the house I was um very influenced by some of my teachers that I had had growing up and I was quite frankly exposed to a lot more because of them and I really appreciate mm. that yeah. however when your eyes are opened so wide and so quickly it's easy to just say yes this is what aligns with how I feel this is what mm. like this is what I am because that's all that you know Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I felt about my sexual identity. Even I was like, yeah. yes, I am bisexual because this is the closest thing that I can find that fits how I feel. Mm. And it must be true. Mm -hmm. You know, when in fact, I'm pansexual. Um, <laughs> and now I know this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but and who knows? I, I who knows? But, um, but you work with the language that you I have thought that at I the was time, a Democrat. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, and then I think the last year or so, I'm like, man, I don't think I am a Democrat. <laughs> every politician, every politician I see is evil, except for Bernie and Alexandria. Mm. And I, I want them to be my grandpa and cool sister. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I, I don't know. It's definitely changed over time, just as, as my identities have changed mm. over the, 
the more that I learn and the more people that I talk to that don't look like me, that don't identify like me, that don't have the same social experiences that I do, mm-hmm. the more that I find myself caring about things that I never knew I would need to care about before. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. How do the identities, like those identities that you hold and hearing from other people, how does that influence how you engage in politics? Like, are you, I mean, I know a lot of this, but for our listeners, how are you someone who's like, vote and that will solve your problems like you've kind of alluded to that already that like voting is not going to solve the problems we need grassroots initiatives obviously um but would you mind sharing a little bit about how your identities um influence how you engage in politics I think both of us are fairly empathetic people Mm -hmm. and I think that allowed me to feel much more convicted about a lot of issues that maybe don't directly affect me or, and I I have to come back to that minute Mm -hmm. or even just something that like, I I have friends that are transitioning and I, that's a new level of queer that I don't experience. And so I I Mm -hmm. can imagine how I feel as a queer person and amplify that times like a million and feel like that is so 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 important and so of course I can't just advocate for myself and just the you know what a lot of people consider to be trendy queer um, (laughs) a lot of people think like being bisexual is like a trend or whatever which that's That's a different subject but (laughs) no no, more mainstream queer. Let me put it that way. More, yeah. more socially acceptable, like cool queer. Mm. Um, and and so I think seeing my friends deal with situations um, societally and through politics, it's made me care a whole lot more because I I am not as visibly queer, mm. so mm-hmm. I don't get a lot of the same attacks but in regards to being empathetic my brain kind of stopped working in that way the more I found out about um the issues that black people face because Mm -hmm. there's no way I can empathize with that Mm -hmm. it's it's not possible Mm -hmm. I don't even have a similar thing to compare that to so for me I was like wow like I really need to care about this not that I shouldn't about things that I can empathize with but if there is something so unfathomable unfathomable you know what I'm saying yes can you say the word unfathomable (laughs) It's late. Unfathomable. Yep, it's not happening today. It's fine. Um, We're all fine here. When there's something, <laughs> when there's something so large that I can't comprehend it, mm-hmm. I something switches in my brain because I realize that that's something that I have to advocate for. 
Yeah. Cause I, I, I don't know. I, I think that it must be terrifying to have an existence like that every day. Mm -hmm. And if there's something even small that I can do, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I think with the grassroots kind of idea, um, I don't know if you're, if you're just doing it at this large scale where you don't have to talk to people and you don't have to make connections or engage with your community and you don't have to think about or see how it's affecting people that you may know or that you have in your community, then it's so much more detached and it's so much easier to kind of check out and just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And I personally didn't feel like I could just stand by my college has a very diverse student body. I think DeKalb in general has a pretty diverse community. Mm -hmm. Um, segregated yeah yeah but but diverse and I can't I don't know I know we're in a pandemic yeah. but I can't sit behind a screen constantly because this is this is hopefully going to be over someday the pandemic I mean one can and only I, I have to <laughs> I have to practice applying what those skills look like in real life, mm. if I am going to show up for my community when this is over. So yeah. I think that's where grassroots comes in. Cause I can't just, I can't just sit behind a screen and, and shout, I care about this. Mm. You should too. Yeah. And that's helpful. I'm sure, you know, raising awareness and stuff, but like, you know, my partner and I've talked about it a lot and he's like, you know, like most of the people on your social media are people that already align with your ideologies. Mm. So you're kind of preaching to the choir a lot of times. And I'm like, yeah. damn it, you're right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So back to the drawing board. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's also really rewarding to have that sense of community though, especially mm. with both of us growing up in such a controlled environment. I mean, it was kind of mm. like growing up in a, a conservative Petri dish. Yeah. <laughs> then, you know, the glass breaks and you're like, whew. Um, <laughs> it's a little chilly out and, here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did, but finding that sense of community, I was like, oh man, like this is pretty amazing. Yeah. There are actually other people out there that I can connect with and and feel a sense of community. You know, everyone's always talking about, you know, you have to find and feel this sense of community for mm -hmm. your life to, you know, feel whole and fulfilled and all this stuff and I was like, oh yeah, community. I, I feel community in music. I, I have a sense of community. It's mm. it's cool. Mm -hmm. 
And I didn't realize that I actually maybe didn't have mm. an actual sense of community yeah. and that it was a community that I had chosen to be in. It was just a conglomerate of uh, musicians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's that's something, too, that, like, goes back to what we were taught about what community was. Like, particularly in Christianity, in evangelical Christianity, community is a very niched thing that doesn't actually play out in reality super well, um, especially on a large scale, right? Um, we don't have, like... Um, I talked about this in uh, my episode with Joe Lumen, um, and well, rather she talked about it, but um, we both agreed like, hey, when I'm in need, you know, you know, who's not showing up and taking care of it? That community my, that I, I was guess. supposedly, <laughs> that community that I was supposedly a part of, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and one of the things that she said really struck me, which was, um, you know, when we had medical bills, you know, who paid my, my medical, you know, who cared Obama. And she was like, nobody else cared. Um, it's true. And that's the thing about it is that like, when you have such a narrow definition of community, of like this is what community says and does and looks like and acts like it impacts your understanding of whether or not you even have community and then when you see um very generous very um genuine community sort of interacting with itself and interacting with others you're sort of like where's the catch What's, mm -hmm. what, what's the deal here? Because I, I'm not trusting this. I'm not trusting you mm -hmm. because I know mm -hmm. that that can't, that that's not what community is. And so this is confusing. I can't make sense of it. So there has to be a catch somewhere. Yeah. It's like any healthy relationship. Yeah. After you've been in something that's not healthy. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. I think that's also going back to what we were talking about earlier with unconditional love. I think mm -hmm. that this sense of community and collaboration with such a diverse group of people, and I'm not even just talking about people's skin color. Right. I'm talking about people's ideologies and their backgrounds with their life mm -hmm. and their political backgrounds and their social standing and all of this stuff yeah. when you have a, a strong sense of community and collaboration I think it truly shatters the facade of Christianity's idea of unconditional love mm. yeah that I I had never felt so loved by strangers until I had started getting involved in communities like I had this summer. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I'm really grateful for the pandemic because it allowed me to take 
the time to find people and connect with others and kind of slow my brain down Mm. and it's constantly I feel like my brain is constantly cycling through madness and chaos and stuff so Mm. it was it was really an amazing experience to just feel such an overwhelming connection to so many different strangers yeah absolutely um and I think that that like impacts it sounds like that impacts the way that you're moving into this election too like having that sense of community and having people who um you are interconnected you care for them and they care for you um it changes the way that um the way that we view and approach i think the upcoming election obviously politics in general but especially the upcoming election um and it gives you someone to sort of it gives you people to not just commiserate with, but to conspire with, to plan with, to say, we know the reality, we know what's at stake, and we know how things could change for better or for worse. And so here's how we're going to participate in this particular election. Um, So I wonder if you would share a little bit about your perspective on sort of the moral obligation in this particular election. Um, And how it could impact you and other people like you, um, whether that is queer people or, um, you know, artists or people who um, are sort of uh, slotted into the box of, um, you know, your gender is woman or whatever, um, whatever you'd like to, to talk about with that. This is the uh, most difficult question of all. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess I've been consuming a lot of people's opinions about how this election should be handled. Mm -hmm. The largest and most popular yet unpopular that I'm seeing is that you have to go with Biden Mm. just to get Trump out. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I curate the people that I have in my social media circles and the people that I follow and the people I listen to for politics because everything is biased and everyone is biased and everyone is affected. So I do have a very carefully curated um, media intake, I guess. Mm. But I think, I think by not voting, I would be abusing my privilege. Mm. And in the same token, if I vote for Biden, I'm, voting for a heterosexual white old man who (laughs) has some very questionable ideas about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, you have 
Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. She would be VP. And that is exciting in a lot of ways, just like Lightfoot. But it's also concerning in a lot of ways, like Biden. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and it's so nuanced. I don't even know if I am allowed to have opinions about some of those things mm. because a lot of those things don't directly affect me. So it's like, why should I be telling people what matters when mm. it's not affecting me? Like, yeah. but also I care. And so I feel like if I don't say that this is this is concerning to me, then it can come across as if I don't care and I'm just another Democrat that wants to get 45 out of the White House mm. and whatever happens after that is fine. Right. Um, and it's not. Right. Uh, <laughs> which is why I, I think a lot of people have been saying, oh, vote, vote, vote. And yes, please vote. Mm-hmm. Give me the best birthday present ever and vote <laughs> on November 3rd. Yes. And um, change my life for better <laughs> or for worse. But... Probably for worse either way. Um, but but it, it can't stop there, mm. I guess. Just yeah. like I was saying earlier, it has to be something that is sustainable. And voting can't be this golden free ticket to political action mm. where we say, okay, I voted. So I did my civil duty mm-hmm. and I am good to go until 2024. Yeah. Because I got a Democrat into office. Mm-hmm. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something that I've seen quite a few people, I've heard quite a few people say and, you know, witnessed a lot. Um, whether it's on social media or in reading. And one of the things, um, and Joe Lumen mentioned it too, she said the same thing, which was um, when it comes to this election and all other elections, listen to the most marginalized voices. And mm-hmm. she was sharing that, like, about, you know, because I had asked her the same question, like, what is the moral situation here? What is the obligation here? Um, and um, it reminds me a lot of, like, kind of what you were saying, like, there are problematic things happening. There are problematic uh, stances and issues. And yet, um, as people who hold white privilege... Um, we can't, that's, that's not ours to comment on. A lot of those things are not ours to, to comment on, specifically with regard to Kamala Harris. That's not ours to, to speak about. Um, and I've seen, um, and read so many folks saying, if you're like feeling uncomfortable or unsure of what to say regarding um, Kamala Harris and any 
you know, potentially problematic stances or policies she may have, and you're white, that's fine. Don't say anything. (laughs) BIPOC have it covered. (laughs) And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, that's a really good point because um, it feels like one of the dangers that we can sometimes approach uh, as white people um, and that we often do approach is like, let me tell you. Let me like tell you about mm-hmm. like my opinion and why I'm right because I'm seeing this clearly and you know so definitely you need to hear about like what I have to say on this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's definitely something that I've been guilty of many many times and I'm trying to be like more and more cognizant of that as time goes on. Um, and so mm-hmm. things like that are helpful. However, that doesn't mean that we don't think critically about those things. It doesn't, it, what it means is that, like you said, we like, we listen to other people. Like Joe said, we listen to the most marginalized people and we do what brings about the least amount of harm. But at the same time, we can't prescribe that action to, to people who are, who hold more marginalized identities than we do. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah 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 i mean that's that's invalidating right for marginalized people yeah yeah and there's um there's something about this election that just feels very i mean it's obvious what it is about this election that feels very big and very like earth shattering um and i think a lot of people have felt that way about a lot of elections but this one in particular this one is a this is a biggie um and so hearing from people with different perspectives i mean that's why that's part of why i wanted to start this podcast which you know is like hey you might not agree chances are you actually won't agree with a lot of the people that you know i talk to um, if you're just, you know, average whoever listener, you're probably going to run across people who you, with whom you disagree, who are guests mm-hmm. on the podcast. But that's the point, is to listen to mm-hmm. other people, to hear other perspectives, and to allow ourselves to be changed by them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, how we started out, I mean, you have to be flexible yeah. In order to grow and change. And I think this is a big part of it. Tough conversations can do that. Mm-hmm. How, how would you feel? Um, how, how could this election impact you and other people like you? Like either in either direction. Let's say, and you mentioned, you sort of alluded to it a little bit. And you said, like, please go vote and make, you know, give me a great birthday present for better or for worse. Um, But like, let's say 45 were to be reelected or Biden were to be elected. What, how, how could that possibly impact you and other people like you? I think it would honestly be devastating Mm. to have 45 turn into 46 yeah. um because 
we've already had enough and we tried that whole impeachment thing. <laughs> um, that went real well. Yeah, that worked. Yeah. Um, I guess just seeing how it's going now, I imagine that with four more years, man, I just don't even know because that brings up so many issues in my mind about climate change, um, about the, the, the virus and yeah. about healthcare. Mm-hmm. Man, the healthcare one really freaks me out. Yeah. I, I cannot afford private insurance. Are you oh kidding gosh, me? No. That is, that's not a thing. Right. Um, the climate change thing really freaks me out though, too, because I'm like, oh my God, I don't like seeing half the world on fire right now. Right. Um, and everything's melting and everything Mm. is falling apart. And it's like that, that gif of the dog sitting in the flames. This is fine. Everything's fine. Drinking coffee. Is he smoking? I feel like the dog is smoking a cigarette too. That's me. <laughs> that's that's me. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's terrifying. And to be honest, I've kind of like totally blocked the uh, mental projection of what that would look like. You know, I've got like the little projector in the white screen in my brain. And I, I've blocked that movie out of my mind because <laughs> I, I really don't want it to air. Mm. Um. I, I think that mass incarceration would continue either way, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a massive problem in our country. Yeah. Um, it's modern day slavery. Let's be real. Yeah. And yeah. And I think, I mean, With Biden, it's hard to tell what will happen because, sure, he's been VP twice, um, but or for two terms, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what what does that look like when he when he's holding the reins? Yeah, I don't know. I think that that is. A, I don't know. Yeah, that's something that I've been wondering a lot about too. Is people are like, "Well, he was VP," and I'm like. Right, but he wasn't actually the one making the decisions. Um, and so whatever good things happened for you in your community during um, Obama's terms, you don't owe that to Biden. You owe that to Obama. Exactly. Um, exactly. So it's hard to be able to say like, well, he was VP. Okay, great. <laughs> what does that, you know, what does that really mean? You know, like, I know mm-hmm. VP is more than a placeholder. I understand that. But there is a certain degree at which you're just like, okay, but you weren't president. And so you right. didn't make the final call. Um, exactly. I think he is writing on those coattails still quite a bit. Mm. And other people are perpetuating that for him. Mm-hmm. And I get it. I mean, that's a lot farther than a lot of people make it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, 
but that doesn't you, you didn't have to prove yourself and yeah even during the election process you don't have to prove yourself you mm. you can say anything you want to say as we saw back in 2016 you can literally say anything you want and it's fine yeah. and then you can you can keep doing some of those things that you said you would do once you're elected and then you could totally just be like haha jokes mm-hmm. on you guys i'm going to do what i want now mm-hmm. that i'm here mm-hmm. cuz i'm the president <laughs> um <laughs> sorry you're fine so i just i just don't even know i think it's scary either way but at least with Biden there's this level of uncertainty where it's like maybe there's a pleasant surprise hidden in one of these aspects yeah maybe or maybe, maybe. we can like maybe we can like push him enough to to give us what we want yeah um i've been wondering about that a lot I wish I had. I wish I had a a crystal ball. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate uncertainty. Oh man, Sam. <laughs> it's like the most uncomfortable feeling, and yeah, yeah. And there, <laughs> there's so much like ethically at stake here. That's just like. It's it's like a battlefield in my mind. Like, okay, well, at least Biden listens to science. I think, <laughs> like, but but fingers crossed. Who knows for real though? Um, you know, like I I think Biden listens to science at least when it comes to COVID. Maybe when it comes to climate change, possibly. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Um, but that doesn't really, like, when it comes to being a woman, the thought of voting for Biden, right, is like, who? I don't Mm want to, um, for obvious reasons, like, everyone knows why, and yet, if I... Like, I think one of the things that I keep coming back to is like, okay, but I have to think about other people and how this impacts other people, not just Mm -hmm. me. Because like, yes, Biden would still be a better option for me and my family than 45. Mm -hmm. But um, I would probably still also be mostly okay overall. Mm -hmm. If 45 was right. reelected. And that's because I hold a lot of privilege. Um, but that thought process needs to... I, I need to have the thought process of like, okay, but how will this affect other people? What is... What is the ethical possibility in this election... And I have to consider how this can impact other people. 
and um, it is the most complicated political cycle of my lifetime. And it's not like I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not that old. I'm kind of old, but I'm not that old. And You're not old. <laughs> I feel kind of old. But that being said, it's definitely the most complicated political situation I've ever tried to engage with. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think that's because, I mean, I, I can agree with you. I think that that's because we've both educated ourselves more and care about what's happening. A lot of people are just going to get the ballot and check off the box that they say that they identify with, even if they don't really know. I mean, I know a lot of people just go in and they're like, okay, I want the Republican ballot. I want the Democratic ballot. And I'm just going to... These are, these are the top runners and I just want a Democrat in there. I just want a Republican in there and I don't care who it is as long as they have the title that I identify with or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder when you begin to care about the intricacies. Yeah. I mean, I used to do that. Like in in the beginning, like I really thought that like the Republican party was like the thing and that's because that's what I was indoctrinated to believe that's what I was conditioned to believe and so I used to vote a straight Republican ticket and now I'm like oh my gosh what was I doing it's so much more nuanced than that it's so whether you're a Republican or a Democrat doesn't matter it's far more nuanced than saying this is this is my ballot I'm voting a straight ticket for whatever political party is listed on my you know, voters mm-hmm. registration card. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when it comes to this election cycle, I think that we've just about wrapped up what's ethical and what's moral. And that's just pretty much listen to the most marginalized people among us. Um, but there's one last thing that I've been thinking about a lot as we've been talking. And I wonder what you think about it. There's a big issue right now with the concept of mail-in voting versus in-person voting. And we've seen what can happen when people are told that their polling place is going to be open and it's going to be open for a particular amount of time. And then it's closed early. Um, And people thought it would be open, so they didn't request an absentee ballot. And so if you don't have that absentee ballot and your polling place suddenly announces, you know, the night before or early in the day that they're closing at a different time and you somehow, like, either they are not open at all, like multiple polling places were closed in various states without any advance warning and you had to have your mail-in ballot request like two weeks prior and it's you know it's a whole thing so on the one hand we have issues with covid numbers rising particularly in illinois we've just had like the most enormous spike in the last week yay um and then 
you know, and, and so there's that concept of like, I want to do absentee ballot. I want to do mail-in voting because it's the safe and responsible thing to do. But then you also have the side mm-hmm. of things where you're like, um, except for the part where 45 has literally said, if you don't have the postal service, you're not going to get the votes. Like, huh? So, so there's this notion of I like, know. if I vote absentee, if I do a mail-in ballot, then is my vote going to even be counted at all? Like, is it just going to be tossed in the trash or is it going to be like, suspiciously lost in the mail or will any of them even get delivered etc and then there's the other part about like but if I don't do that and my polling place closes unexpectedly I don't get to vote at all mm-hmm. so how do you navigate a situation like that where you are possibly having your vote stripped from you? I mean, unfortunately, it's something that we're being expected to be prepared for, and it's not our job, I guess. Yeah. Um, I personally am getting my mail-in ballot, which I can turn into my polling place, or mail in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know which I will end up doing. Because um, yeah. I don't think that I've even gotten mine in the mail yet. Haha. <laughs> yeah. And I applied for it like over a month ago. Oh my God. So we will see. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know. And then it's a tricky situation where it's like, well, if you requested an absentee ballot or mail in or whatever, then and I don't know the answer to this, then can you decide to go vote in person or do you have to use your mail in ballot once you get it? Do you know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I legitimately do not know the answer to that, but I'll find out and I'll I'll link a source in the liner notes for that. Um, for anyone who's who has the same question, um, or if you know the answer to that question, let us know. Um, but there is one thing that um, Nick and I have been talking about and like reading about, which is sort of like a weird kind of like quasi third option um, that you request the mail in ballot, and similar to like what you're saying, you fill it out. But instead of waiting until election day and dropping it at the polling place, you go to your local, um, uh, like election authority, I guess, um, whatever that might be. Like for us, it's like a courthouse, um, in the, you know, like the next town over or whatever. And Mm -hmm. that's, and you can take your, you can physically hand deliver your mail-in ballot there. At any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early. Yeah. And, and like, vote early. Um, yeah. However, that being said, it requires that you already have your mail-in ballot, which if you have requested it and it just still hasn't arrived, um, that's also a problem. 
So, but that being said, we've been talking about like, what would it be like? Can can we do that? Can we like, because we want to request a mail-in ballot if we get it in time. <laughs> can we drive it to like mm-hmm. the courthouse and and hand deliver it so that we know that there's no option of it getting lost in the mail? And I've seen a lot of folks advocating for that approach where it's you know where possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards at this point. Yeah, once I get it, just because I know everything is slowed down tremendously mm-hmm. with the mail, and that's a whole different issue that is terrifying and heartbreaking and frustrating. Yeah, like we should we should have mail, <laughs> right? We should have have the post office it's kind of a big deal yeah yeah it's a really huge deal and i think um <laughs> what's really wild about that is like this huge issue of like defunding the postal service and all of these things and then someone moved to like quote unquote allocate emergency funding to the postal service and it was like it was there all along Mm-hmm. it wasn't a it, it didn't need to be a thing it wasn't like the money wasn't there it wasn't like nothing was there it's just that we're in a pandemic and it just needed to be sent to the right place basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i know that's come up a few times yeah. recently with yeah. oh i guess maybe we'll consider they're giving you like 600 more dollars because we do have you know what was it like was it three billion or something in the covid fund still they're like well i guess guess we can toss a little more your way like it it should be fine Mm. i guess i guess we have the money we'll see maybe maybe i'll feel good about if i do it (laughs) We could always just do like an emergency tax on Jeff Bezos and Amazon. Hey, hey. I mean, that would cover it. Elect President of the United States 2020. (laughs) Our problems will be solved. No Uh, issues. I will tax the richest people and give it to the poorest people. I am Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Honestly, though, I still don't know why that's radical. I know. I mean, like, there are some points, and obviously I don't know, like, very much about it because, I don't know, whatever. But some points during the last four years, I'm like, we're basically in a dictatorship already. Like, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing to have, like, a really good dictator and just, like erase everything you know like a really good one my friend one of my friends keeps saying that she's like look I'll just take over I'm really good at telling everyone what to do and I'll just make sure that everyone's taken (laughs) care of and all of the rich people can pay for it and I'll just be a benevolent dictator and I was like that those don't exist and she (laughs) she told me the other night um me and like a, a group of uh other friends we have like a text thread 
And she said, okay, I've got it figured out. I talked with my brother. And when I stop being a benevolent dictator and the and I eventually become harmful because that's what dictators do, then he'll over he's gonna come and overthrow me. My brother will come and overthrow me, and then he will reestablish democracy. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, no, no. Like obviously, <laughs> like she is completely joking. But it's like that that sense of like desperation that makes you go like, but could we just I know fix it, please. We kind of we kind of need just like a hard reset. You know how you do that <laughs> with your phone? We need like a hard reset yeah. on the country, hard and reset. then we can go back to the old ways. But we just need like I don't think we should go back to the sec. old ways either. <laughs> Start from scratch, my that's friends. That's true. That's true. But Let's invent a new political system. Honestly, look, people act we'll like call, everything. We'll has... call it. We'll call it uh, humane systems, and we'll <laughs> hand out baggies of goldfish and give people allowance and and not make them work for the rest of their lives. Oh my gosh! Right? <laughs> like the idea that That'll like great. If you can't work, like you are you are incapable of work, then like you shouldn't be allowed to survive is the most ableist, infuriating capitalistic notion ever. I know. Yeah. With that <laughs> depressing thought. <laughs> No, seriously, I'm not going to end on that note. But it, it does like it, it there is a there is a sense all that to say there is a sense of desperation, there's a sense of urgency. Guys, please go vote. Um it matters on a large scale for many, many, many people. Um and if you are someone who like me, like it might affect you, it might not. Forget about yourself. Go do it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Do it for my birthday. Right? Do it for Chantel's birthday. Do it. That's it. 2020. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Chantel, thank you for for being here and for joining me and having this conversation. You know, frustrating as it may have been at different points, I appreciate you taking the time. Likewise, thanks for having me and tolerating my coffee-fueled, sleep-deprived ramblings that probably made no sense. No, I'm here for it. It's great. It's, it was a great time. I really appreciated it. Um, I am going to go ahead and list all of the information for where you can find Chantal if you want to support her um, and her music. If you are like, hey, I want violin lessons for my kid, um, you are still doing virtual lessons, correct? I sure am. I'm using Microsoft Teams. Nice. And do Google and FaceTime. I got you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if you are interested in supporting Chantel um, and participating in virtual lessons or getting some sweet musical uh, entertainment and just listening to whatever... Um, whether it's a virtual concert 
or something like that that you do, then I'll make sure that everyone knows where they can find you in the liner notes. Thank you again so much. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Tune in next week for another open discussion on our approach to politics. You've been listening to 99 Lead Balloons, honest talk about shit society ignores. Special thanks to my guest, Chantal Charisse, for joining me. For more information on projects Chantal is working on, or to find their music, find them on Instagram at Chantal Charisse Music. Graphic and web design by Chris Campbell Creative. Go to chriscampbell.com for more. Theme song by Luciano Music Company, licensed by Premium Beat by Shutterstock. Produced and edited by Stoke the Wild Studios. To stay up to date on episodes and content, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 99pod or go to 99pod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.